So I heard this story of a mother who was trying to teach her daughter the blessing of generosity. And so she decided that she was going to give her, her daughter a dollar and a quarter. And on their way to church, the mother said to the daughter, listen, here's what I want you to do is I want you to give one of them to the Lord today when the collection comes by. And so the daughter was like, okay, no problem, dollar, quarter. And she's listening and, and worshiping and service, and she's listening to the preacher. And when the offering comes by, she decides to put one of them in. And later on, as the mom is driving home with the daughter, she asks, which one did you put in? And the daughter said, well, you know what? I was going to put the dollar in. But then the preacher up front was saying that we should be cheerful givers. And I knew if I gave the quarter, I'd be more cheerful. So she put the quarter in. I like that story. I want to talk to you today about generosity. Um, I'm going to share with you in just a minute why I want to share with you about generosity. But um, I love our, our passages for today that, that talk to us about how we live wisely. And for those of you who are online, my name is Brian. For those of you in our campuses in New Milford, Waterbury, Derby, welcome to all of you. And, and of course, welcome to all of you here at the Bethel campus as well. And uh, we've been in this series called Walking Wisely as we go through the Proverbs. And you probably remember that we've been in a year that we've called Heaven on Earth. And now we're getting really to the ground level here and asking the Lord to give us this gift of wisdom. As we walk in wisdom, heaven comes to earth. And you might remember a few weeks ago, I, I taught and I, I kind of brought out this idea that wisdom is a gift from God. And so we ask for it. And through the power of his spirit, he gives us his wisdom. And as we act and walk in wisdom, God brings his kingdom. And so we, we want to do that. We want to walk wisely. And so today, I want to share three lessons about generosity that we learn from Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 11 that was just read. But before I do that, I want to be very upfront with you about why I'm talking about generosity today. I think a lot of times when pastors talk about generosity, different things go through people's head, right? I know it does. I know that happens. And so I just want to share my motivations for talking about generosity and giving today. First is this, the church is not in crisis today. Sometimes I think people wonder, well, is a pastor getting up there and giving a giving message because the church is in crisis? That's not the case. Praise God. The Lord has had favor on this church since the very beginning. These two years have been difficult years, but the Lord has been so gracious through the generosity of his people. Praise God, we have been able to meet every expense over these last two years. We're so thankful. We're so thankful. That's good. Praise God that as we came to you and said, hey, we want to do more in church in action, we're able to do more in church in action. So this message does not come because, you know, the elders said, Brian, you got to give a giving message because we're in crisis. That's not what's happening. Second, I'm not motivated to give this message because I need a raise. You know, sometimes people think that, right? No, that's, that's not the case. I'm very thankful for the church and the generosity they give to us and our pastoral staff and our directors here. Thank you so much. This is not because of that. I wanted to give this message on generosity and choose these Proverbs because I actually believe that through generosity, 
our depth of relationship with God goes deeper and our reach goes farther as a community. That's my motivation. Plus, it's talked a lot about often in scripture. But I wanna see each and every one of us have a depth in the Lord. And it comes through learning how to be generous people that actually we can go deeper in our relationship with him through the practice of generosity. I believe it, I've seen it, I've experienced it. But I also want us as a community to be able to do as much as we possibly can for the kingdom of God. I believe that it's through generosity that our reach gets longer and farther. And praise God, we have this limited time here on earth to be able to make a great impact. And so generosity impacts both the depth and the reach of our faith. And it's so important. And so I want to just share three lessons with you about generosity from our passages today, from Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 11. Before I share the first one, let's get into it a little bit. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it was already read, but it says, it starts by saying, honor the Lord with your wealth. Let's start with talking about what does it mean to honor the Lord? I like that word, honor. What What does it mean to be a person that really honors the Lord? I think that it means that we recognize God as God. When we honor God, we we are saying to him, we're, we're living our lives in such a way that expresses to him that there is no one higher and there is no one greater than God. That actually we put him first in our life. We honor him by putting him in his rightful place. He is God. We honor the Lord when we submit to his ways. If we're going to say that he's the highest, the greatest, the best, then we can honor him by following what he commands of us. If we're truly saying, God, we believe you are almighty, there is no one greater. Well, if the Lord has spoken through his word, if he's taught us how to live, then we submit to his ways. And as we submit to his ways, we honor him. Don't you feel honored when you ask something of somebody and then they follow through on that? There's honor in that. We honor the Lord when we embrace our call. The Lord has placed a great call on our lives to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them the things of Jesus. We're to be the light of the world now through the power of his spirit. And we honor the Lord when we embrace that call and we step out and we make it a priority in our life to bring the kingdom of God here now. We honor the Lord when we love and we serve him with our whole life. This brings him great honor. This is what it means to honor the Lord. And there are many ways that we can honor the Lord, right? Many ways. We can honor the Lord with our hearts. We can turn our hearts to him. We can worship him. We can adore him. We can love him. We can worship him with our hearts. We can also honor the Lord with our lips. Sometimes this is tricky for us as humans. (laughs) Sometimes we're prone to allow our words to, to go in directions that aren't pleasing to the Lord. But this is an opportunity for us in the way that we use our speech and our words and our encouragement to honor the Lord. 
Even as we gather in our places of worship and our campuses at home, we lift our voices to the Lord. We praise him. We honor him with our lips. But we also honor the Lord with our testimony. Each of us has a testimony. Each of us has been touched by the Lord, and we honor the Lord by sharing that testimony. You got to know what Jesus has done in my life. This brings him great honor when we share all that he's doing in our life. We should boast about him. You know, Scripture doesn't tell us not to boast in anything. It tells us to boast in one thing. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings him great honor. Look what Jesus has done. We can honor him with our living. We can act kindly. We can move in the power of the Spirit. We can show Jesus to others in our living, in our behavior, in our attitudes. We can honor God. And then our topic today, we can honor the Lord with our wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. What is wealth? Let's get to the nitty gritty here. If you go and you search up, you know, what is wealth? One of the definitions that will come up is that wealth is an abundance of valuable possessions and resources. An abundance of valuable possessions and resources. There are a lot of different ways that people categorize wealth. Let me share just a couple of them. One way that people categorize wealth is in three ways. First, there's personal property. That's your homes or your apartments, your cars, and everything that's in your cars and in your homes, all your personal property. The second thing would be monetary savings. That's everything that you're saving, everything that you're accumulating financially. This is your 401k. This is your savings. This is all those things, your monetary savings. And then there's capital wealth. This is income-producing assets, stocks, bonds, businesses, the gumball machine you have in your house that you make your kids put a quarter in for, all your income-generating things. That's one way to look at wealth, three categories. Another article I, I saw promotes four categories of wealth. They said there's financial wealth, there's social wealth, there's time wealth, and there's physical wealth. I took a crack at it, and I think there's at least seven areas of wealth, probably many more. But let me share my list with you. Here, here's what I see in terms of wealth. I see that there is financial wealth. Financially, there's uh, abundance for, for many. There's ways that we can give back and be generous with what the Lord has given us in a financial way. This would include your savings and your capital and your income that's coming in. There's material wealth, secondly. This is our homes, our cars, our tools, our clothing, our sports equipment, all the stuff that we've accumulated, the material wealth. The third one, there's spiritual wealth. And we are wealthy. Spiritual wealth. That actually, if you have nothing but you have Jesus, you've got everything you need. There's spiritual wealth. That actually, I'm saved and I'm, I'm redeemed. There's spiritual wealth to that. 
And not only that, but I'm empowered by the Spirit of God, and so I walk with the presence of God wherever I go. There's spiritual wealth and power. And actually, I can walk in wisdom. I can walk in light. I can walk in truth, and I can walk in understanding because I have the Spirit of God. Not only that, but the Lord has given me and you specific gifts of his Spirit. You are spiritually wealthy. Then there's physical wealth, fourth. When you are healthy, you're able to help, to work, to lend a hand. And this is a part of our wealth. There's relational wealth. All of us are connected with different people. And you can see people tapping into their relational wealth when they are ministering to others and serving others through the connections that they have. I know a guy who can help you with this. Let me contact. And you begin to see this relational wealth that we have. There's time wealth, an abundance of time, a margin in our lives that we can use. And finally, the seventh is vocational wealth. The careers that you have, the hobbies that you spend time on, the expertise that you've gained because of your experience is a wealth that you possess. The experiences of leadership and serving and working It's a wealth to you. The Lord has blessed all of us with wealth, an abundance of valuable possessions and resources and gifts. So this leads me to the lesson, the first lesson. Why do we have this wealth? The first lesson is this, friends. You might want to write it down or just keep it in your hearts. Wealth is for worship. Wealth is is for worship. We don't give to get. God's not a slot machine. Put something in to try to persuade God to to act. It's not what giving is. We don't give to earn. No, Jesus earned it for us. We don't give to earn. We don't give to be seen. Generosity is is not for your fame. Giving is not a spiritual photo op. (laughs) We give to honor God. Our giving is for worship. What if we began to see our wealth in a whole different way? Wealth is for worship. Now we begin to put these areas of wealth into that context, and we we ask these, these questions about if we're honoring God with our wealth. With our financial wealth, how are we honoring God with our finances? With our material wealth, Lord, how can I honor you with my material things? Use them to bless others. With my spiritual wealth, Lord, how can I honor God by using these gifts that you've given me, God? With my physical wealth, Lord, I'm, I'm well right now. How can I use my, my body to actually be of service to you? My relational wealth, Lord, you've brought these people and friends and family into my life. Lord, how can I use this and maximize this for your glory to worship you? With our time, Lord, I have this time. Too often I book it completely, but Lord, how can I use my time to worship you? With my vocational wealth, Lord, with all these lessons that I've learned from my position of leadership as a parent, as a worker, whatever it might be, Lord, those expertise that I have, how can I use them to worship you? You know, friends, the question is, 
Are you worshiping your wealth or, are, or is your wealth being used for worship? It's easy for us to fall into the trap of worshiping our wealth, allowing it to control us. And when your wealth has you, then that's when we hold back. That's when we become fearful. If I lose this, where will I be? And when we worship our wealth, our world actually becomes very small because we're just trying to build our own little fiefdom around ourselves where I can be king over it all. But when we release what we have back to the Lord, doors begin to fling wide open of the possibility and the potential. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, I've tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all. But what I have given into God's hands, I still possess. I love that. Wealth is for worship. I wonder, as you think about this point, maybe a question to reflect on that I've been reflecting on is, where is my wealth pointing? What's it pointing to? With my finances, with my material things, is it, is it pointing to being a service to the Lord? Is it pointing as an act of worship? Second lesson I want to share with you comes out of Proverbs 3, verse 9 again. It goes on and says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. The second lesson about generosity is this, is to start with your first and best. What Solomon is teaching us here is that the wise give to the Lord the first and best of everything they produce. Now listen, I'm the third child, okay? I'm one of three, I'm the youngest. And so I know what a hand-me-down is. Okay, I know what secondhand stuff looks like. Okay, my life was a who wore it better episode constantly between my brother and I. And let's just say this, you know, I don't know what Craig's I think in New Milford today, but we didn't have the same body type growing up. Okay, and so he probably wore it and then it was worn out by the time I got it. It didn't look I didn't own a pair of sweatpants without patches on the knees, okay? You understanding what I'm saying? Now, I have four kids, and so Bria's the youngest. This kid doesn't have an outfit without holes in it, okay? It's gone through three other kids. It's this hand-me-down kind of situation. You know, in Scripture, we're taught that honoring the Lord with our wealth happens when we give our first and our best to him. You know, I wonder, is it really worship when we give it because we no longer need it? I've used this already, Lord, now you can have it. The hand-me-downs, the second-hand stuff. Actually, we have an opportunity to give the Lord the first and the best to honor him, to honor him. You know, God models giving the first and best. I love how God never asked us to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. God gave his first and best. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus in scripture is called the first fruits. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20, it says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has gone before us. 
And, and what we have our hope in is that we will be raised from the dead as well. He's the first fruits. He's the first and he is the best. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Praise God that we have a generous God that we have a God who gave his first and his best to us. Praise God. And you know, he continues to do so. He continues to give us the first and the best. After Jesus' resurrection, the Lord gives us the best again. We've been gifted with the first fruits of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Lord continues to give us his first and best. And so we're to follow his example. So what's our first and what's our best? What are we talking about when we say give God your first and best? Let's talk about the first things. You know, when scripture taught about giving the first fruits, it was talking to a community of farmers, people who would go out and harvest. And so they were to give the first fruits to the community and to the Lord. Bring it. That first fruits, the first bit of the harvest. Now think about this, that this is your mode of, of being able to bring in income, uh, being able to eat. And what the Lord is commanding of you is to go out and do your harvest and take right from the very beginning and give it back to the Lord. Don't wait until everything's distributed and you're paid for it. Don't wait until all the bellies are filled no, what I want you to do is once you get that harvest is to take the very first portion and bring it back to the Lord. The first. It was an act of faith to give the first part of the harvest. Not relying on the harvest, but relying on the God of the harvest. This is what God was saying. Listen, you want to have a relationship with me? You want to learn what it means to trust me? Then give me the first fruits of your harvest. So how does this apply to us? I think it applies very practically, very clearly, that we're to give from the first part of our harvest. We're to give from the first part of our income. We're to give from the first part of our time that we're to give the first to the Lord. This is a spiritual act of worship as we give from the first part of our income. It's an opportunity to step out in faith and declare, God, we trust you. We're not going to wait and give you the hand-me-downs. We're not going to wait and give you the extra that we no longer need anymore. No, Lord, we're going to declare from the very beginning that you are the Lord, and we've received this because of you, and therefore we're going to worship you with it, and we're going to trust you for the rest. And not only our income, but we can give the first of our day to the Lord. This is what we call our first 20. The first best 20 minutes of our day where we say, Lord, I give you this time. Speak to me. I'm going to get into your word. I give you the first part of my day. The best part of my day. The first things. But then the best things. See, I believe the lesson is to give the Lord the first things, but also the best things. You know, as I was putting this message together, I was reminded of the Christmas story. 
Maybe just because I love Christmas. I don't want the Christmas weather. I just want the Christmas story. And part of the Christmas story is when the Magi come and they bring gifts to Jesus, the child. I love how one of them, it says they brought gold. They brought gold. Gold was the very best. It was the most valuable. It was a gift that you would give to the king. Bring gold. Bring gold. You know, this always just kind of reverberates through my heart. Brian, are you bringing gold to the king? Are you bringing your best to the Lord? Bring your best. Are you bringing your best offering? Are you bringing your best attitude before the Lord? Are you bringing your best effort? Actually, Christ's followers should be the hardest workers, and we should be the ones who steward things the very best. Are we bringing our best praise as we gather here? The best. I want to bring gold to the king. Not a half-hearted life, not a hand-me-down life, but I want to bring gold to the king, our first and our best. Third lesson I want to share with you comes out of Proverbs 11. And the lesson is this, is that giving leads to thriving. Giving leads to thriving. Do you know the richest people on the planet are those who are generous with what they do have? The myth is this. The myth is that what you have is what makes you rich. It's actually the myth. I've watched all those shows before where they, you know, they take you through the, the home, they show all the, the great things, and, and wow, that person is rich. And we've been taught in our culture that you are rich based on what you have. But here's the truth of Scripture, is that the one who gives freely is the richest. And the one who withholds is actually the one with nothing. This is inviting us into a deeper kind of richness that we can experience. A deeper kind of richness than what the world teaches us about. This deeper kind of richness is not found through withholding and accumulating more. Holding back and acquiring more wealth. Instead, it comes from sowing the seeds of our wealth and watching the kingdom of God sprout around us. That's when you're truly rich. It's found through generosity. It's the richness of a satisfied soul and a life in partnership with God. I love in our passage in Proverbs 11, it says, Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That actually blessing leads to blessing. I think that we need to set a new goal. The society and our culture would teach us that our goal should be to accumulate more. I think our goal needs to change. We need to be different, set apart. And the new goal in the kingdom of God is to be generous to give freely. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the story of, of Jesus while he's, he's being followed by a huge crowd of, of people. Everyone wants to be around Jesus. That's a lesson in itself right there. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. 
And so Jesus, he's got this huge crowd around him and he spends the day with them teaching them. You can read about what he taught them in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And Jesus, he's teaching them all these different lessons about how to walk in the kingdom of God. And and Jesus notices that the people are getting hungry. And so he says to his disciples, let's give them something to eat. And the disciples are looking around going, we can't feed this whole crowd. There's no way. We don't have enough to do this. This is going to be impossible. And so they say, no, 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 Jesus, let's tell them to go and come back another time. Let's basically tell them to make their own dinner plans, okay? We can't resolve this. It's into this situation that all of a sudden generosity enters and flips the script. Generosity enters and changes the whole story. It's into this context that a little boy offers what he has to Jesus. Generosity enters the scene, and look what Jesus was able to do with this little boy's generosity. He feeds the crowd, and there's leftovers. It engages a miracle. I was thinking about this little boy. I'd love to interview him. And I just imagined him like 20 years later at his daughter's wedding. Maybe that's me just kind of getting to that point and thinking about that. And so there I am. I'm looking. I'm thinking about this little boy. Now he's like, you know, in his, in his later 40s and his, his daughter's about to be married. I wonder if that little boy, now an adult, was sitting there at his daughter's wedding going, man, I wish I had those five loaves and two fish back really use those right now? I don't think so. I'd be pretty confident to say there's no way he was thinking that. Have you ever had an uncle or a grandparent that just kept telling the same story over and over again? Maybe that's me right now. I would imagine that was the little boy telling this story every chance he got. You'd never believe what happened. All I had was five loaves of bread and two fish. I just brought them to Jesus and look what he did. I bet there wasn't a single day that he regretted giving what he had. And if in that moment he had five loaves of bread and two fish, when he was 50 and he had a 1,000 loaves of bread and 200 fish, I bet he was ready to give those too. I don't think he regretted it for a moment. I bet it was what made his life thrive, his life come alive as he went about sharing the story of God's goodness about how God met his generosity with a miracle. Let me read you another passage. It comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world, and I think we've established that all of us are rich. We all have wealth. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
I love how the NLT says that, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That actually when we hold tightly to our wealth, this doesn't lead us to life that is truly life. But when we hope and trust in the Lord and release and we are generous, this is what leads us to life that is truly life. The key to taking hold of life is not through accumulating and withholding, not through putting our hope in wealth, but instead by putting our hope in God. Giving leads to thriving. Let me leave you with a piece of application. Generosity is learned through practice. There are some people with the gift of generosity, but we need to practice it. It's learned through practice. And so how do we learn and where do we start? Let me just give you two things that I want to ask you to do and challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to pray about it. Pray about it. Ask God to give you a vision for your generosity. Write it down when he gives it to you. You know, oftentimes when people say, you know, Brian, I'm not hearing from the Lord. You know what I often say? Hey, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him how he wants you to be generous with what he's given you. The Lord speaks to us when we put ourselves in a posture, say, Lord, how do you want us to serve you, to sacrifice for you, to be generous towards you? Pray about it. Ask the Lord what he would have you do in terms of generosity in each of the areas that I've spoken about. Second, I want to challenge you after you pray and you hear from the Lord to respond intentionally. Commit to it. Ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me give to my local church? Lord, how would you have me use my time, my material things? And as the Lord reveals that to you, respond, commit to it. For Becca and I, we've committed to what we're going to give financially, in service, in our time. And we have committed to it. We have a vision for our generosity. And now we've put it into place. We give to the local church because we believe in the local church. We believe what God is doing through his church. We believe that he's, he's saving and redeeming our young people. We believe that we're feeding the hungry. We believe that we're providing a place for people to grow spiritually. And so we give to our local church. But then we give beyond that our offerings to other things that the Lord places on our hearts. And we thrive in this, this, these opportunities to give. And so I want to challenge you to pray. And I want to challenge you to respond. Why don't I pray now? Lord, we thank you that you are a generous God. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Give us a vision for our generosity. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us and every one of our campuses and online as well. Lord, that we might enter into the gift of giving. That, Lord, we might grow in our depth in our relationship with you. And that as a church and community, that we might grow in our reach. That we might have greater impact for your kingdom. I pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.